This podcast is a presentation of Sunset Presbyterian Church. For more information, log on to our website at www.sunsetpres.org. Good morning, Sunset. We are standing in the presence of God. Join me in praying these words from Psalm 77. We can have them up on the screen, please. There we go. Together. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. You, with your arm, redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. Amen. Last month, Pastor Steve preached on Exodus 3, where Moses met God in the burning bush. Moses removed his sandals because he was standing on holy ground. Today, we continue the series on Exodus as Moses receives the Ten Commandments. In my first visit to India, I learned the custom of removing your sandals before entering church. It was the first time I stood barefoot in church, and immediately I thought of Moses standing in front of the burning bush, God telling him to remove his sandals because he was on holy ground. And I realized that I was standing in the presence of our Almighty God. As we meditate on today's message, you and I are in the presence of the Holy God. We've been invited to come to his house of worship, to hear the wonders of God, to meditate upon his law, to realize how we have failed to keep God's commands, and to hear how we are justified in the blood of the Lamb. Friends in Christ, we are standing on holy ground. I am removing my sandals as Moses did, as Pastor Steve did, and as Christian brothers and sisters do in India. And if you are comfortable in doing so, I encourage you to join me, if not literally, at least mentally. Take off your shoes, for we are standing in the presence of the Holy Lord. Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt and to the mountain as God had instructed. He was invited to come into the presence of the Lord to receive God's commandments. His first words are not of law, but of grace and mercy. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. God makes us his own. And as we celebrated Amelia's baptism this morning, that she is a child of God, each of us also are called children of God. He is our Father. And he not only brought the children of Israel out of Egypt, but he has redeemed you and me out of the slavery of sin. Paul declares, But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard of teaching to which you were committed. And having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. So as we look at the Ten Commandments, let's read together how God begins his commandments. 
together. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. To have no other gods means that we should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. First, to fear him above all things. Psalm 96 verse 4 says, For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. To love him above all things. As Jesus said in Matthew 22 verse 37, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. To trust in him above all things. As Proverbs 3 verse 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. Amelia's verse for her baptism today. Anytime we fear someone or something more than God, anytime we love the created more than the creator, anytime we put more trust in people or things than in God, we have a God, only not the true God. We may convince ourselves that that we do not have other gods, but are we not deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us? The idols that you and I worship usually begin with good gifts from God, wanting enough money to live uncomfortably, even lavishly, wanting an ideal marriage to someone who loves us without uh, condition wanting our children or grandchildren to succeed, expecting others around us to respect us and treat us well, desiring that our church meets all of our needs and expectations. But when we take these good gifts of God and turn them into idols, we demand these things in our hearts. How do we know we've turned them into idols? When we sin against God's commands in order to achieve good results, we have taken his good gifts, his blessings, and turned them into false gods. And what happens if we don't get them? James 4 says this, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have. You, so you murder You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. James describes the battle that wages war in our hearts. It's the most basic spiritual battle. It's the one where we want to be God, and we expect everyone else, even the Lord, to serve us. Anytime we try to be the God of our own lives, the master of our own destiny, the provider of all our needs and wants, the king to whom others must bow down and meet our demands, well, we make ourselves God. We break the first commandment. We not only worship false gods, we assume the very role of God. Next, God commands, let's read it together. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God forbids us to misuse his name. Instead, he calls us to 
call upon him in trouble and use his name to pray, praise, and give thanks. Have you ever misused God's name? Not just cursing. Have you failed to call upon him when you are frustrated? Instead of praising him and giving thanks in all circumstances, have you grumbled or complained? Next, together. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. We keep the Sabbath holy by setting a time for resting from work and devoting ourselves to God and the study of his word and to be together in worship. Sabbath means rest. In the Old Testament, God designated the seventh day, which was Saturday, for rest and worship. It pointed to Jesus, who is our rest. But since the Messiah has come, we're no longer required to observe a particular day for rest and worship, but we are still required to worship and study God's word. Paul says this, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Is the word of Christ dwelling within you? Are you meditating upon it day and night, not only in worship but in Bible study and daily devotions? Or do you ever say something like, well, that passage doesn't apply to me? It's another way to sin against the commandment to keep the Sabbath holy. Next, together, please. Honor your father and your mother that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. We keep this commandment as we honor our parents and all those in authority that God has established for us. How easy it is to judge those who are in authority. But Scripture teaches that God establishes all authority. Parents, teachers, managers, pastors, elders, government leaders. Did you ever say something disrespectful to your parents when you were kids? And then as you became adults and became parents, did your kids ever disrespect you? Yeah, it's, it's easy to gripe against those in authority, isn't it? Especially when you don't have all the information that the authorities have. They, they know things that we don't, and so they make decisions that we don't always understand or even agree with. Sometimes... People in authority are wrong. This is true. But God still calls us to respect those in authority. Oh, this commandment is so hard to keep, especially when we think we know better than those in authority. And then when we're given authority, God also expects us to exercise it according to his will. Next commandment together, please. You shall not murder. In this commandment, God forbids us to take our own or another person's life. Instead, he calls us to defend and protect others. But Jesus defines this commandment for us. Everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says, you fool, will be liable to the hell of fire. John also explained, everyone who hates his brother is a murderer, and you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. Have you ever been angry at someone? Have you ever committed murder in your heart? 
Are you still angry today? Giving the devil an opportunity in your life. How long have you been committing murder? The next one. Together. You shall not commit adultery. God commands that husband and wife remain faithful to one another and that we lead sexually pure lives in what we say and do. And how did Jesus explain this commandment? He said, But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. The next one, together. You shall not steal. You know that we're not to dishonestly take anything from our neighbor, but to help protect what is his and then give to those in need. You ever wasted time at work when you're being paid by your employer? Or perhaps you haven't reported everything just right on your tax return. Not only from people, but have you ever stolen from God? Have you withheld your tithes and offerings? How about withholding offerings when you wanted to make a point to someone? Does God expect us to break his commands in order to achieve a righteous purpose? The next one together, please. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. God forbids us to tell falsehoods about others or to spread gossip. Instead, he calls us to defend others and to speak well of them, putting the best construction on things. He teaches us to hold confidences even when they're true. Gossip is much more than talking. Is what you have written in social media putting the best construction on things? Do all your words, even in emails, speak well of others? Are you spreading unkind information? What if you believe what you are writing is the truth? Proverbs 11.13 says, Whoever goes about slandering reveals secrets, but he who is trustworthy in spirit keeps a thing covered. James 4.11 says, Do not speak evil against one another, brothers. And 1 Corinthians 1, or 13, verse 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. You know that in America, we are conditioned to break this commandment. Yes, as Americans, we justify anything we say because we have the freedom of speech. But that freedom does not justify God's people sinning against this command, even if we think we have a righteous purpose. Next, God commands us to be satisfied with his gifts to us. Let's read this together. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. That includes his car and his latest electronic equipment as well. God expects us to be content with what he has given us and not to covet our neighbor's property or try to get it in, through a dishonest way. Instead, we're to help our neighbor defend and protect his property. We're called to trust God for all that we need. Do you complain or grumble about what you don't have? 
What is unsatisfactory about the gifts God has given you? What else does God say about his commandments? Let's read this together. I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God loves you. He wants to protect you by giving you boundaries. He promises to love his children, and he wants what is best for all of us. His commandments are intended to protect us from harm, from ourselves and from others. But as I reflect on God's commandments, I have to admit, I've broken every one of them. As much as I want to deny it, I like to make myself God. I like to please myself. I want things to go my way when I want them and the manner in which I expect. As I stand here on holy ground in the presence of my almighty God, I am fully exposed. I can't hide my heart from him. Like my first parents, Adam and Eve, My natural instinct is to turn away and to hide. But it's not just in church that I stand in the presence of my holy God. The truth is, we are always standing in the presence of God. And he discerns every sinful thought, hears every hurtful word, and witnesses every sinful act. Nothing is hidden from him, including those things that we deny or don't even realize. But my friends, we need not fear being in the presence of the Holy God. You see, he is also there to restore us in love. He is also there to comfort us with his forgiveness. He is also there to grant us power to amend our sinful lives and to resist temptation. He was present when he adopted us into his family, making us heirs of his heavenly promises. He is present in his written and spoken word. He is present in us since he has given us his Holy Spirit. For while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we would become the righteousness of God. And because God is in us, he makes us to be in Jesus. Together, we are the body of Christ. And the good news is, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Incredible, isn't it? Although we reflect on his commandments and realize that we cannot keep them perfectly, that we haven't kept them perfectly, that we're tempted to continue to break them every day, he forgives us for his son's sake. Now you would think that as the forgiven people of God, out of our gratitude for his mercy and grace, we would have no problem forgiving others, right? Let me introduce you to a woman who is greatly sinned against, but who understands the power of God's forgiveness. Gladys was born in Queensland, a state in Australia. And as a teenager, 
she believed she was being called by God to serve in missions. She went to school to become a nurse, and when she graduated, she took a position in a hospital in India. This particular hospital served outcasts that had leprosy. In India, there's a caste system. And nearly a third of the population is considered outcasts. That means they're lower than animals. That means they have sinned so many times in prior lives that they don't even be deserved to be treated like people. And among the outcasts, if you have leprosy, you're an outcast of the outcasts. And that's the hospital that she went to work at. The director of the hospital was named Graham Staines. He grew up in Australia, just 20 kilometers from where Gladys did, but they never met until they worked together at this hospital in India. And God brought them together in marriage, and they had three children, Esther, Philip, and Timothy. One day, Graham was asked to speak, as he often did, about his Jesus. He went into the jungle in this conference, and he took his two boys, Philip and Timothy, who were ages 6 and 10 at the time. And at the end of the day, the three slept in their car because there was no other place to sleep. But you see, there were some Orthodox Hindus there that hated Graham and his Jesus. And just after midnight, they surrounded the car, and the leader took his axe and sliced the tires of the car so they could not drive away. Then they took tridents, And they broke out the windows of the car and began stabbing Graham and his two boys. Next, they started the car on fire. And as Graham and Philip and Timothy tried to escape, they kept them in with the tridents and burned them to death. When they found the corpses, Graham's arm was wrapped around his two little boys. Imagine the grief of Gladys and Esther. What a horrible, horrible way to lose your family. In India, there's a fixation on justice. Because of the caste system, people are always scrapping to get justice at whatever level they're at. And the government did capture the 13 men most responsible, took them to court, tried them, convicted them, and sentenced them. The leader got the death sentence, and the rest got life in prison. And so a reporter from the paper called The Hindu, which was from Chennai, one of the largest cities in the world, came to interview Gladys to see if the sentence these men had received was justice. Now, there's two miracles about this story. The first is what Gladys said by faith. And the second is that the editor of this Hindu newspaper accurately reported what she said. As to the sentence these men have received, she said, I have no comment. For God has given us government to provide justice in our land. Now, remember, she's speaking of a Hindu government. But she's reflecting what Paul said in Romans 13, and he was talking to people that had a Roman unchristian government, that God has established that authority and to respect it. 
But as for me, Gladys continued, I have forgiven them already. The reporter couldn't believe his words. How could you forgive them? Did you forget what they did to your husband and your boys? As if Gladys will ever forget. She said, I forgive them because God through Jesus Christ has forgiven me. What India needs for healing is more forgiveness, not retribution. That article not only went throughout all of India, but it went around the world. And you see, reporters came from Washington, D.C., and New York, and Paris, and London, and Toronto to meet this woman to see if this story was true. But Gladys is a humble woman, and she denied most interviews. She wanted to continue working in the hospital where her husband did. I was hoping that someday I'd go back to India and I could meet this woman for myself. But God has never sent me back since this took place. While I was working in Australia, I learned that after some years, Gladys and Esther returned to Queensland so that her daughter could go to medical school. I got her contact information, and I asked to meet her. I told her that I worked in reconciliation ministry and why I wanted to meet her. She agreed to let me come. So I flew to her town in Queensland, and I met this woman. If you saw her walking down the street, you wouldn't notice anything special about her. There's nothing unique or, or distinctive about her. Um, you wouldn't know that there was something special just by looking at her. But as I met with this woman, it was clear to me that God has given her a special measure of faith and a, a powerful faith that can witness in the most horrible of circumstances. And she told me something that was not in the different accounts written about her. First of all, she said that her husband loved India and he prayed that all of India would become Christian. Because of his murder and the murder of his two boys and his wife's testimony, hundreds of thousands of Hindus in India converted to Christianity. Gladys also told me that two weeks before the murders, she was in her personal devotions. And she was challenged by her devotion to say, what would you give up for Jesus? And she said, Jesus, I give you anything I have. And then she laughed out loud because she had so little. Some clothes, a few pieces of furniture. And then she said this, but Jesus, I could never give you my family. And then she cried as she realized that she made her family an idol. She loved her family more than God. And she confessed that and said, Jesus, if you want my family for your purposes, I freely give them to you. As I met with her, I told her that since I heard her story, I used it when I taught on peacemaking. I told her that Gladys, in this horrible, tragic event, did three things. She glorified God. She served millions of people whom she'll never meet this side of heaven. And I said, I don't know this woman, but I believe that through this she grew to be more like Christ. And when I said that, Gladys broke down and cried, and this is what she said. Why do people find this story so sensational? 
Isn't forgiveness what Christians do? Oh, my friends. Most of us will never experience the pain and trauma that Gladys and her daughter did. But we all know what it's like to be hurt by others, to have those we care about and love hurt. We know what it's like to want justice, to want revenge, to hold bitterness in our hearts, to treat them like enemies. But thank God he doesn't treat us that way. No. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. It is easy sometimes to forget that God is present. When we rejoice, when we mourn, in times of healing, times of suffering, during reconciliation and in conflict, when we sin and when we need his forgiveness. But in those times when we forget, when we struggle to forgive, when we're tempted to return evil for evil, when we gossip or break other commandments, pause. Remove your sandals, for you are standing in the presence of God. Lean on your Savior and remember Jesus' promise for you. I love you. I died for you. I rose again for you. And I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will be with you always, even to the close of the age. Friends in Christ, with his help as his forgiven children, we can grow in grace, mercy, and forgiveness. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we are so humbled to be in your presence, not only here in your house, every day, everywhere. Forgive us our sins against your commands and renew our spirit. Help us, Lord, to remember the forgiveness you have given us and empower us through that grace and mercy to forgive as we have been forgiven. And Lord, when we forget, nudge us, take off our shoes, and remember that we are standing on holy ground And we need not fear you, for you have been our Father, and you invite us to come into your presence as we do this in the name of Jesus, your Son, our Lord, and all God's people say, Amen.